You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Good morning. And happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Grandmother's Day. Happy uh, day for all of you. I don't understand why it's a day. It should be at least a month. We get a month for all sorts of things these days. It's time to have Mother's Month. Should we start the movement? Yeah, and that wouldn't even be enough, would it? And last week, we discovered, first of all, that the reactions to who Jesus was by his actions and, his, and his, um, what, what his teaching was uh, and how the crowd saw him, how his own family saw him, him, as well as the religious leaders, it was all over the map. Some of them thought, this guy is out of his mind. That was, they called him kind of a lunatic. And others, he is a liar. He is part of the prince of demons, the father of lies. Those were the two reactions (laughs) to Jesus in chapter 3, which is just kind of shocking. And then Jesus declares who he is, the Lord in that chapter as well, uh, through the use of imagery. Today, we finally get to Mark's gospel, some extended teaching that Jesus did. Before this point in time, we only hear a phrase here, a phrase there. Jesus doesn't go into great depth of teaching at all. For that, you have to go to the gospel of Matthew. He gets these huge sections of teaching, in fact, five of them to match the five books of Moses in the Pentateuch, or the Torah. Um, But in Mark, it's just action, 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 moving along simply. But today we get his first main teaching, and it's a parable. He always taught in parables. Why? What's going on with this? So let's read Mark chapter 4, where we will begin with, I think, verse 1 and go uh, for quite a while. He says, again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Um, A natural amphitheater that way. Have you ever been to a lake or wherever you can hear across the entire lake what uh, conversation sometimes. So Jesus knew with a large crowd he needed, you know, a, a, a place where he could sit and proclaim and everybody hear him. But the question is whether people actually heard him. That's the real question. You know, maybe the Verizon commercial came out a lot later. Can you hear me now? That's the question Jesus is really asking. Can you hear him now? Do you hear him? So he was teaching them many things in parables. So that's his standard form of teaching. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom. 
But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how can you will understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the one who, ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the ground, on the good soil, are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Jesus taught in parables. And he taught about the kingdom of God. A parable is parabola. I don't have that word up, but it, it's actually, we just transliterated into English, parabole. Bole means to cast or throw, and para is from parallel. You put alongside two things. It's a comparison. And so Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God and how God works in this world, how God gets things done in this world, what God is all about in this world, to a sower, a farmer who goes out and scatters seeds across the ground. And the seed doesn't look like much. It's fascinating. So often Jesus used agricultural, botanical, biological comparisons for the kingdom of God. He didn't use ever a military comparison. He didn't use a mechanistic comparison. He didn't use a, um, what we would expect. The kingdom of God, he says, grows like a seed. The power was in that little seed. And so today we're going to look at what's really fascinating uh, from this parable. We're going to explore how God's kingdom is so different that we're going to see from this parable its unconventional power and God's astounding methods and how we receive the kingdom that is so unconventional in the first place. But it's unconventional power because Jesus did not describe the kingdom of God like an invading army. Now, that's the only way the people of God at that time in Israel knew. Palestine had been invaded from time in memoriam by the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Syrians, the Assyrians, the, the Persians, and the Greeks, and then the Romans. It was always taken over by somebody. For example, when Alexander the Great came through any territory, there were only two kinds of people left in his wake, those who were subjected to his rule unwillingly and those who were dead. <laughs> that's the way he worked. That's the way God's, uh, that's the way not God's kingdom, but the kingdoms of this world work even today. We're seeing sadly this being played out in Ukraine, but there are many other wars around where it's just by force, we're going to control, we're going to take over. Hmm, right? So it looks like that would be the way for power, but Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God is not an invading army. 
it's a little seed thrown into the ground. Isn't that interesting? Nobody expected this. Hey, one thing I've learned over my many years now, and I can start saying that, is uh, <laughs> powers come and go. You know, who's in charge comes and goes. Have you noticed? So um, whatever party comes into power, oh, we're going to straighten everything out. We're going to make a difference. Everything's going to change, and it's going to all work out. We're going to bring about the right things. And then they fall out of power, and then the next group comes in and says the same exact thing and promises the same thing. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. People's hearts are not transformed Life doesn't get transformed. It's amazing. Po um, conventional power models that the world uses don't actually change anything. Jesus says the kingdom of God is a little seed. It's spread everywhere, and it makes a difference. It transforms. It appears weak. It appears like nothing, just like Jesus himself appeared like a nobody scattering seeds, speaking his word. And what does he compare the seed to then? He says this in Mark 4, 14, the sower sows the word. Word, God's word. We don't think it's powerful. Words, you know, we use words in all sorts of ways, but God's word that's how he created the entire universe. In the beginning in the book of Genesis, what's amazing is that Genesis doesn't say, and God said, let there be light, and then God went out and did something to create the light. No, all it says is, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Do you understand what it says about God's word and what, that it possesses within itself the power to accomplish what it says? It's a performative word. It's a generative word. It accomplishes what it says. It has the power within itself. My words don't, okay? If, like I've said before, if I want to say let there be light, I better be by the light switch and do this, right? Or at least say, hey, Google, turn on the lights. And then Google turns on the lights these days. But my words do not have power. My words can describe. My words might be able to try to get somebody to do something, but God's words perform and accomplish. God created the world through his word. He also recreates. He regenerates. And this is why 1 Peter says it this way. He says in that letter, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So here we see that Jesus says the sower sows the word. He casts out the word. And the word is not simply information. It's not just a bunch of facts. I think the worst game ever is Bible trivia. Not because they don't like the idea, but it's the, an oxymoron. There is no such thing as Bible trivia. Then you're using the Bible incorrectly. The Bible is never intended to just be information or little facts and figures. The Bible is a living, breathing book. It is a power within it, and the power is released through the gospel itself. And so Jesus chose the seed as a word 
as the metaphor for how God works in this world, the gospel. Not what you might think, like I said, an invading army, or maybe a hammer, or a fire, or a sword, but a seed. Hammers cannot transform the soil. <laughs> you can pound all you want. You can throw a stick of dynamite in the soil, and it will not do what a tiny little seed will do to the soil. Do you understand? That's unconventional power, the kingdom of God. And do you realize right now the kingdom of God has spread throughout the world as a seed of the gospel has been scattered everywhere, and it grows in some of the most unusual Unconventional places, from prisons <laughs> to outposts, everywhere. So that 2.5 billion people now confess the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord. Unconventional power. But even more in this uh, parable, it's God's astounding methods. Because uh, you kind of sit back and you go like, wait a minute. Um, one thing you need to know about um, the Middle East and the time of Jesus, and you learn this from like studying um, ancient Palestine and its farming techniques at the time. So it sounds kind of odd that the sower would sow the seed over the path and over the weeds and over you know the rocky soil, etc. But the truth is, the way that the farmers in those days worked the soil is they scattered the seed first. And then they plowed the seed into the soil. They didn't know where the rocks were. They didn't know where the, you know, they were going to plow the path as well. They were going to plow the area with weeds and turn them over as well. But what you find is what's so amazing about this sower is how the sower spreads the seed everywhere. There's such an extravagant waste, it seems. Why wouldn't this farmer figure out exactly what's the right soil conditions and right person in the right situation in the right, and just plant one seed at a time? Rather, he scatters it wherever it goes. What this says about God is that he is lavish. He is magnanimous. He doesn't skimp. He doesn't hold back. He's astonishingly profligate in what he gives away. God has always been that way. He doesn't predetermine the worth. He doesn't figure out what's his best investment strategy. I'm sorry, that is not who God is. God is one who continues to give and give and give and scatter seeds and plant and invest and give to this world. Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Mount, God allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. It falls everywhere. Well, except California right now. But, but the point is that God is not predetermined or figure out where he's going to bless. And I know a lot of people say God blesses America. And yes, he does. But God does not bless America because America is so much more pious than the rest of the world. God blesses America because God blesses America. And God blesses Asia, and God blesses South America, and Europe, and everywhere. And he blesses our lives again and again and again and again. And he doesn't stop because that's who our God is. And he spreads the gospel word time and again out into this world in a multitude of ways. 
and just wants uh, the word to grow. I don't think it's uh, coincidental that, that Jesus uses this as the example of how God works in this world. And it's also not um, coincidental that the seed itself says something about the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever had an acorn in your hands before, but they're about this big. Some maybe a little long. They're different shapes and stuff. We get hundreds of them in our yard because we have an oak tree in the front. Each acorn actually has not simply everything, all the power it needs to grow a 75-foot oak. It has the power within it to grow an entire forest. Do you realize that? Because it keeps growing and growing and growing. But the power only comes and is released from that acorn when the acorn dies to itself. It's not coincidental that Jesus in the Gospel of John talks about his own life. Now he is going to plant it into the ground. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's the word that happens. It's not just any information. It's not just any truth that is spoken. Actually, the word of God itself is alive because the word is filled with God's very life. Jesus himself is that word that is spoken, that is invested, that is poured out into this world. That Jesus himself did not, God's own son, didn't come into this world with an invading army behind him. He didn't come into this world with Kevlar spiritual protection over him. He didn't come in with pomp and circumstances that most kings and princes and queens and others in this world had had at the time. No other ruler has ever acted this way. No other prophet, no other priest, no other anyone has acted the way that Jesus has. And the fact that Jesus came and came into this world through the womb of his mother, vulnerable and insignificant, a pauper, and a servant to others. And that's how he lived. He invested himself completely into this world and gave everything he had away. That method seems crazy, doesn't it? But that's God's way. And it has worked. You know, in that day and age, if a Palestinian farmer received a two-fold or four-fold increase, in the harvest from the seeds that he planted, they were thrilled. They thought that was great. And here, Jesus says, no, it's going to be 40, 60, 100. The surprise, eschatologically, that is, at the end of time, is the harvest that Jesus brings about by how God has invested his love and mercy and grace and truth in the lives of people around this planet is going to be so great, we are going to stand back in awe and in shock at what he has done. But John, that sounds great, but you know, you said 2.5 billion now believe, that's not everybody. So true. So how is it that you receive the kingdom? That's the real question. It's not really, okay, how does everybody else, re it's how are you going to receive the kingdom? Jesus says something at first glance in this parable that you go like, what? 
what's he meaning? He said um, that he said to them, to you has been given, that is the people who came to him, the crowd, um, out of the entire crowd, a group came to him along with his disciples and said, hey, we didn't get this. Tell us about this. And he says, to you have been given the secret of the kingdom. But for those outside, everything is in parable so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And you might think, oh, my goodness, that means Jesus doesn't want everybody to understand this. No, that's not quite it. He's quoting here in this uh, passage a section of the prophet Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah was called by God and told, hey, they're not going to listen to you. Can you imagine that? I mean, here you are, the prophet of God. You've been in the temple. You see God's glory and holiness. And he cleanses you from your sin and then says, okay, you're going to go out, and they're not going to listen to you. You're going to keep speaking and preaching and teaching, and nobody will listen to you. Wow. That's unbelief. And Jesus quotes the prophet not because his parables cause unbelief, but because the people didn't believe. Do you realize that we already saw this in Mark chapter 3? When anybody got a real kind of hint at who Jesus might be, they, all, they defiantly rejected him. You know, the religious leader said he's from the devil just because they saw a few miracles. And his own family thought he was nuts. And later in the Gospel of Mark, at the end, when he stands before the high priest on trial, and Caiaphas looks at him and says, you know, tell me straight, are you the Son of God, the Messiah? And Jesus says, yes. That is exactly the time that the priest rips his robes and says, blasphemy, rejects him outright, and says, he's dead. Condemn him to death. Crucify him. Do you understand that if Jesus were blunt and upfront about who he is and what he's about, that the rejection would be there? So he speaks parables to try to get behind our defense mechanisms. He knows how defiant, how rebellious, how obstinate, how stubborn we are, how we want to control our own lives, how we want to be in charge of everything. And so he speaks in imaginative parables and metaphors to try to get beyond, to get to the curiosity, to reach beyond our, our, our self-defense. He doesn't come at us with bombs or ballots or coercive means. He doesn't yell and scream. He doesn't market or allure or deceive. No, instead, it's the simple words of truth and grace and the gentleness of a tiny little seed planted again and again. And yet, four of the soils, of the four soils, only one produced any of a crop. And the problem, if you look at it from all three soils that didn't, is that the seed didn't get in deep enough. It's a depth problem. You know, that along the path, it just kind of bounced off. The birds ate it. That among the soil that just had a thin layer of topsoil and a bedrock underneath, it didn't get in deep enough. 
with the weeds and the thorns, well, it could get deep, but the, the weeds and thorns were just as deep. Jesus is saying it is possible for you, for me, for anyone in this world to have contact with God's word and have the seed sown and yet not to let it grow deep enough into your life. Is Christianity just kind of theoretical to you? Is it just a set of kind of good ideas? If it's just information, Jesus says it's not deep enough. It needs to bring about a transformation about real life. You have to beware, he says, of a hard heart like that hardened path. And yet God keeps spreading his word even on hard hearts in this world. He doesn't give up. You've seen grass growing through the cracks of cement before. Somehow, in some ways, God is still trying, even with the hardness of heart that people may have these days, to still plant seed. He doesn't try to change his tactics with them. He keeps planting seeds. And I think we also, with that rocky soil, we need to beware of a shallow heart. To receive God's word, I would say emotionally, and a lot of people are doing that this day, where it's kind of a thrill and a spill and a chill. Wow, that's great. That's wonderful. I loved that. And so they get emotionally wrapped up into some message, and as long as it's exciting and fun, they're part of Christianity. But once it gets tough or difficult, it's like, yeah, well, there's no more joy in it. I just am not happy anymore with it. I'm just going to... And it's so easy... People want a blesser, not a savior. They want relief, not salvation. <clears throat> they are seeking comfort rather than discipleship. It's amazing how it's, you can have a shallow heart these days. And the soil that had thorns and thistles within it, that's... Well, I think Jesus is saying, beware of having a divided heart. You know, the third soil, that, that seed got deep enough, but just as deep as everything else. Just as deep as all the other cares and concerns in life. It's these people have a depth about them, but they have other things embedded in their lives that are just as vital, if not more important. So they worship Christ and pursue other goals. And the Christian life gets choked out. Christ is their co-pilot, not their pilot, you know? So easy to just be so caught up so that you're always anxious, always concerned, always worried, always frustrated, always going from one thing to the next and not realizing that the cares and worries of life are just choking everything else out so that it's not deep enough. God's word is not deep enough to produce fruit in you. The only way that you and I ever are fully alive with God's word implanted in us if it goes deeper than anything else and penetrates right to the core of our identity and being. And that is what God has done in Jesus Christ. He has not come to be um, information. He has not come through coercion. He has not come to try to change outward behavior, but to plant his life so deeply into our lives that he planted his life deeply into the ground, pouring out himself, transforming all. Jesus knows about hardness of heart. He saw it at the cross. He knows about the thorns and thistles. He wore them on his forehead. 
He understands where we've all been and how so easy it is to be shallow. His disciples had a shallow understanding themselves. They all fled from him. But that doesn't give a God um, an excuse. He doesn't stop. He continues to plant that seed. Jesus is saying, I think, to each one of us, open your ears, really hear this. I will never stop loving you. I will never stop planting in you. I will never stop investing in you. I will never stop sowing seeds into your life until I see it produce a hundredfold. Now, here are a couple applications. I think four of them, actually. I think that's important, and this is where we finally get to Mother's Day. <laughs> okay? Keep sowing seeds. You know, it's too easy um, for so many people to say, well, I tried and stop, you know? I'll tell you, it's so easy. Um, trust, though, that the gospel, that investing, that of giving, that of loving, that of serving, is going to work out in the end. And moms, I think, know it better than almost anyone how much time, how, many, how much investment has had to be done over the years. I, ta- uh, I was texting with someone yesterday that no matter the age of your children, you're still their parents and you're still investing in their lives. It's amazing how much sacrifice mothers give. And the thing is, they're not, well, yeah, they lecture once in a while, but they're not coercing, they're not guilt. They are investing, they're caring, they're planting seeds again and again. That is God's method in this world. You know, um, keep living that truth out. You know, and we as a church, we are not ones to yell and scream and manipulate or guilt. And you might think, well, that would work a lot. Yeah, there are churches or that market, you know, that incentivize. All of those types of things may work short term. But they don't invest long term. The difference that you make is by planting seeds time and again. And you don't even know what the harvest is. Um, And Vicki, I think, knows this too. We just graduated some seniors, right? professor, teachers who are here, you've been planting seeds for years. I hope sometimes your students come back years later and you see this and I I didn't realize this would happen. And you see the investment, whether it's from kindergarten or graduate school, you are continually planting seeds. And we as a church, uh, Thrive is one where we end up investing in Students' lives that don't stay here (laughs) may seem like a waste of time, but not at all, not in God's kingdom. It's planting and scattering seeds. That's how God works. In addition, I think, have an abundance mentality rather than a scarcity mentality. Most people around you think, okay, well, I don't know. Is it really worth my time and investment? Well, I'll give a little. They tend to be matchers. That is, they, they give as much as they might get out of the situation. They look at their ROI, return on investment. We have an abundance mentality. We don't hold on to our stuff. We don't accumulate it for ourselves. We give it away. Just like God gives liberally, so we will too. And God gives generosity to open up possibilities, and so we will as well. And don't predetermine 
who's worth your while? That's kind of why the seed's scattered everywhere. Sometimes you just don't know how it's going to turn out. That's not your job. Your job is just to sow the seeds. Sometimes you can't tell how people will respond. Plant seeds anyways. Share your love. Serve. Scatter. Don't worry. Don't feel like, well, I wait. there's no such thing as wasting time. When you are giving love and sowing seeds for God's kingdom. And I think ultimately it's this. And I think this is what we've been trying to do here. And that is to stick with grace. Coercion only works short time. You know, I, and I know, um, parents, it's so hard sometimes to see your children and you're just so frustrated at some of the decisions they may make. I'm sure I frustrated my parents a million times over. And it's so, you just so want to try to teach them a lesson, right? Stick with grace. The best thing that could happen is, yes, sadly, your kid might go away for a while, might cut off a relationship with you. But when they know it's a house filled with grace, they'll come back. That's the story of the prodigal son, by the way. That's the story of the prodigal son. I had um, some parents talk with me this last week because they are frustrated right now with their young adult uh, child in their family who has gone off in ways that defy the, the logic of everything that they raised their child to be. And they're heartbroken at this point in time. But they've planted enough seed there. God has planted his word there. So often we have seen people in this congregation 20, 30 years praying for their children, and they do come back. They do come back to the faith, and they are part of the harvest. Stick with grace. Understand God has his, his word, his gospel is powerful in itself. It makes all the difference. So we continue, and I pray that we all, individually and corporately, we continue to be a gospel-centered ministry that, that speaks of, of Jesus, loves, uh, receives everyone, welcomes, and allows God to transform. And on the day when Jesus does appear as our Savior and Lord and King, we are going to be astonished at the harvest that has happened a hundredfold, way beyond any of our expectations, and we're going to rejoice in how that also has happened in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, um, we do pray this day for our mothers and grandmothers and our mentors, uh, women in our lives who have made a difference. They may not be directly our biological parents, and yet they have made such a difference because they've invested, they've planted seeds, they've modeled the way, they lived out the gospel, Lord. And they've taken care of us at times when we didn't uh, deserve it by any means. Thank you, Lord, for our moms. And we pray that you would bless them this day to guide them, direct them, that we would honor them appropriately. We lift up to you as well, O oh Lord, our graduates. 
We thank you for the gifts that they have. And now as in some ways we've invested in their lives and many others, professors and instructors have invested in them, Lord. We pray now that they go as sowers of seeds. People who invest in this world and love this world just a little like you do, Lord Jesus. You love this world so much you gave your only, your very life for the life of this world, Lord. You poured out yourself. You were the seed that was planted into the ground and you did it willingly, Lord God, because you loved us so. We are amazed, Lord. So break up any fallow ground we have in our lives. Break up the hardened soil that might be there. Break up the shallow ground, Lord. Have your word come deeply into our lives and make a difference. Weed out all of those things, the cares and concerns and worries that are getting in the way, the anxieties and stresses of life or the, the greed that we may have that is that we're pursuing something other than having your word, your character, your very life reflected in ours, Lord Jesus. We pray these things. We thank you, Lord, for those who have listened online today who may be celebrating uh, Mother's Day elsewhere, Lord. We pray that you would bless them, that you would guide them and be with them as, they, uh, as we finish this online um, streaming broadcast um, in a moment. And we ask, Lord, that you would, from our lives, Lord, that we would sow generously um, of the finances, of our time, our talents as well for your kingdom and that you would use the tithes and offerings online and in person that we will give in a moment to spread your word throughout this world, that the harvest that you seek, that you want everyone to be saved, Lord, that that harvest does come alive in our generation. All these things we pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.